But such sums as I made made themselves. Capitalism made them for dark, comical reasons of its own. The world did it. Yesterday I read in the Wall Street Journal about the melancholy of affluence. Not in all the five millennia of man's recorded history have so many been so affluent. Minds formed by five millennia of scarcity are distorted. The heart can't take this sort of change. Sometimes it just refuses to accept it. In the twenties, kids in Chicago hunted for treasure in the March thaw. Dirty snow hillocks formed along the curbs, and when they melted, water ran braided and brilliant in the gutters, and you could find marvelous loot. Bottle tops, machine gears, Indian head pennies. And last spring, almost an elderly fellow now, I found that I had left the sidewalk and that I was following the curb and looking. For what? What was I doing? Suppose I found a dime. Suppose I found a fifty-cent piece. What then? I don't know how the child's soul had gotten back, but it was back. Everything was melting. Ice, discretion, maturity. What would Humboldt have said to this? When reports were brought of the damaging remarks he made, I often found that I agreed with him. They gave Citrine a Pulitzer Prize for his book on Wilson and Tumulty. The Pulitzer is for the birds, for the pullets. It's just a dummy newspaper publicity award given by crooks and illiterates. You become a walking Pulitzer ad. So even when you croak the first words of the obituary, or Pulitzer Prize winner passes. He had a point, I thought. And Charlie is a double Pulitzer. First came that schmaltzy play which made him a fortune on Broadway, plus movie rights. He got a percentage of the gross. And I don't say he actually plagiarized, but he did steal something from me. My personality. He built my personality into his hero. Even here, sounding wild. He had grounds, perhaps. He was a wonderful talker, a hectic, non-stop monologist and improvisator, a champion detractor. To be loused up by Humboldt was really a kind of privilege. It was like being the subject of a two-nosed portrait by Picasso, or an eviscerated chicken by Soutine. Money always inspired him. He adored talking about the rich. Brought up on New York tabloids, he often mentioned the golden scandals of yesteryear. Peaches and Daddy Browning, Harry Thaw and Evelyn Nesbitt, plus the Jazz Age, Scott Fitzgerald, and the super-rich. The heiresses of Henry James he knew cold. There were times when he himself schemed comically to make a fortune. But his real wealth was literary. He had read many thousands of books. He said that history was a nightmare during which he was trying to get a good night's rest. Insomnia made him more learned. In the small hours, he read thick books. Marx and Sombart, Toynbee, Rostovtsev, Freud. When he spoke of wealth, he was in a position to compare Roman luxus with American Protestant riches. He generally got around to the Jews, Joyce's silk-hatted Jews outside the Bourse, and he wound up with the gold-plated skull or death mask of Agamemnon, dug up by Schliemann. Humboldt could really talk. His father, a Jewish-Hungarian immigrant, had ridden with Pershing's cavalry in Chihuahua, chasing Pancho Villa in a Mexico of whores and horses. Very different from my own father, a small gallant person who shunned such things. His old man had plunged into America. Humboldt spoke of boots, bugles, and bivouacs. Later came limousines, luxury hotels, palaces in Florida. His father had lived in Chicago during the boom. He was in the real estate business and kept a suite at the Edgewater Beach Hotel. Summers, his son, was sent for. Humboldt knew Chicago, too. In the days of Hack Wilson and Woody English, the Fleischers had a box at Wrigley Field. They drove to the game in a Pierce Arrow or a Hispano Suiza. Humboldt was car crazy. 
And there were lovely John Held Jr., girls, beautiful, who wore step-ins, and whiskey and gangsters, and the pillared, doom-dark LaSalle Street banks with railroad money and pork and reaper money locked in steel vaults. Of this Chicago, I was completely ignorant when I arrived from Appleton. I played piggy-move-up with Polish kids under the L-tracks. Humboldt ate devil's food coconut marshmallow layer cake at Henrici's. I never saw the inside of Henrici's. I did once see Humboldt's mother in her dark apartment on West End Avenue. Her face was like her son's. She was mute, fat, broad-lipped, tied up in a bathrobe. Her hair was white, bushy, Fijian. The melanin was on the back of her hands, and on her dark face, still darker spots as large as her eyes. Humboldt bent over to speak to her, and she answered nothing, but stared out with some powerful female grievance. He was gloomy when we left the building, and he said...